course, I was very aware of Calcutta and didn't need to follow my own advice. So went to the dump in my thongs, stepped out of the Jeep and my foot went flying out of this thong, landed on a nearby dead dog, crushed his skull with my foot Ooh. and punctured the sole of my feet with oh, his teeth. No, no. So the doctors in the Hope Hospital found this hilarious. They couldn't deal with me for a half an hour because they were in a room laughing at the <laughs> Irishman that had been bitten by a dead dog. <laughs> so, yeah. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. Welcome to ATP Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, showing you how to accentuate the positive, the way to a better life. Your radio station is an example of the future existing right now. I've got J.P. O'Sullivan in the studio with me, who is works for the Hope Foundation, which is continuing Mother Teresa's work in Calcutta. Good morning, JP. Good morning. <laughs> He's got a fabulous accent. More of your accent. I <laughs> love his accent. Irish? Yes. Irish accent. Living in the UK, working for the Hope Foundation. So we're going to have a bit of a chat to JP. After this, I'm going to put on a song first and then we'll come back. How are you enjoying your stay in Australia? I am thoroughly enjoying it. Um, the weather is just like home. Um, <laughs> so though we're so far from home, it's like being at home. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Too good. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about him, a bit of a short bio. He'll, he can fill you in. He began his work with Hope as a volunteer, engaging on both a professional and personal level. He brought his experience of child protection policy to the foundation and quickly became a member of the closely knit Hope family. A background in adult mental health, a history of international volunteering and a love of India and its people, JP grows his work with the Hope Foundation over the years. He's a professional social worker and a keen networker and committed change maker. Woohoo! Wow, sounds impressive. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very humble, man, but you are impressive. <laughs> you are very impressive. Tell me how it first started. How did you first find out about uh, Hope? Were you backpacking through India as a young man? I wasn't. I was safely in Cork at home. I was in university and I was studying my master's in social work. As part of the course, we have two opportunities um, over the two years to do 14 week placements. One of those placements was in Ireland and the other one we had opportunity to either go to India, to the States, South Africa or to again remain in Cork. And I guess I was drawn to going to India, to Calcutta, because we have family connections back to Calcutta. So seize the opportunity, I guess, to explore hope and also explore those connections. Right. Yeah. So you knew about hope before you went? I did. You, through your studies? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, hope was founded in Cork in Ireland and I live there. Cork is quite a small place. So I knew a lot about hope, but it was strange. It was, I met with Maureen Forrest, our founder, um, when I landed in Calcutta and I guess the, the first conversation I had with Maureen was I wasn't aware how vast the work of hope was. Mm -hmm. I had a misconception or, or I had presumed that hope was, I guess, rescuing children and um, taking care of them in protection homes. And that was it. And I guess what I discovered when I arrived was that hope is one of the largest NGOs in Calcutta, that there are over 70 projects in operation and it's across all communities um, in terms of supporting community members in 34 slums, but also receiving the support of 
I guess, the wider Calcutta community. So everybody tends to know about hope in some regard. Yeah. And it's just a vast, vast organization, which is it's amazing. It's great. It is. Because there's a vast, vast number of people that need it. There are. I mean, it's, it's still quite shocking for me to consider that there are a quarter of a million, 250,000 children on their own on the streets of Calcutta on any given day. I guess the the biggest concern is that those 250,000 children are alone during the night when they're, they're most vulnerable. Yeah, look, and child trafficking still goes on over there, doesn't it? It does. It's estimated that 30,000 children are trafficked into Calcutta every year. And that's for the sex trade, for domestic servitude, for hazardous child labour. So it's, it's a huge number. I mean, we have no idea out here in the West, these sort of atrocities that goes on in places like that. I mean, it's so eye-opening. What did you experience when you first turned up in India? Um, I guess my first experience was stepping off that plane and all my senses being assaulted, assaulted. in one way or, one, one <laughs> way or another. It's the Especially heat, your the, nose. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's everything. It's the heat, the smells, the noise. Um, I found very, very hard to deal with. I come from a small, small village in Cork and the noise just consumed me. Yeah. 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 Um, but I guess having survived the journey from the airport to our apartment, um, I was with a colleague from university. And our first night we went out for dinner and as all good travellers do, we got very, very lost very quickly and found ourselves in a darkened alleyway and a lady stepped out of a doorway with five kids, um, aged four up to 11. And it's, I guess I've travelled quite a lot, but it's the one experience that always stays with me. She offered me any one of her children for 50 cent there and then. And it just absolutely blew me away. Right. Um, instill the fear of God into me. Yeah. And I suppose what I was most concerned about was how many people had handed over that 50 cent. And just, and taken a child. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. It's just crazy to think it is. about it. It really is. So did you make a decision in that moment that you wanted to I ha- help ma- change this a bit? I guess I did. And I guess the biggest decision that I was making or considering at that time was whether or not to stay in Calcutta. Yeah. Um, I'd been, I guess, just blown away by the the confusion of the city and had said to my colleague, I'm going home and can't deal with this. Yeah. And I guess after that night, um, the city held me back for a little bit longer. And I met with our our peers, our our community volunteers, and we made an agreement that if I lasted until the end of the week (laughs) and still wanted to go home, we would all go together. And of course, I was engaged by and fell in love with Calcutta in a matter of days. So eight and a half years later, I'm still still attached to the city. So how often are you over there? I get back once a year now. Um, yeah. I had spent three years there as a volunteer. Right. Um, but I guess my current role, I get out once once a year, which is great. Right. Wow. Mm. So the work of hope is incredible. And um, I'd love to hear more about it. We're going to hear more about JP's adventures. He's uh, got some good ones. He's out here because we had Kathy on the show last week from Morocco and uh, she's started a social entrepreneur business where when you buy her product, some of the um, money goes towards the hope, buy a pair of shoes. So when you buy her one pair of flip-flops from her, you put a pair of shoes on a child in Calcutta. Is that how it works? It is. And it's an amazing partnership to have, not just to have, I guess, Kathy backing us and supporting us as hope, but to see the change that Maloka is making in Calcutta and rural West Bengal 
is phenomenal. Um, I guess something that we possibly don't consider in the West is how fortunate we are to have footwear. Yep. How fortunate we are to have our feet protected as we walk to work, to school, um, to university. But a lot of the kids that we work with don't have that, that luxury and shoes are a luxury in the developing world. Um, I had an experience myself in Calcutta um, in regards footwear. And I was visiting one of our projects, which is located on the top of a dump that is about two and a half miles high. So we take a car to the top of the dump and I had some visitors in town that wanted to see the full effect of hope. So I brought them along to the dump, advised them to wear shoes that were closed in. So Converse or runners. And they did that. Of course, I was very aware of Calcutta and didn't need to follow my own advice. So went to the dump in my thongs, stepped out of the Jeep and my foot went flying out of this thong, landed on a nearby dead dog crushed his skull with my foot Ooh. and punctured the sole of my feet with oh, his teeth. No, no. So the doctors in the Hope Hospital found this hilarious. They couldn't deal with me for a half an hour because they were in a room laughing at the <laughs> Irish man that had been bitten by a dead dog. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, shoes are indeed very important. <laughs> Christine is cracking up. <laughs> so were the doctors. <laughs> the Irishman has been bitten by a dead <laughs> oh my god <laughs> more stories from JP coming up after this too funny Friday night I'm going nowhere all the lights are changing I've been chatting with J.P. O'Sullivan from the Hope Foundation. Today, Mother Teresa is in the house. I really suspect that the work that the Hope Foundation is doing is a continuation of her work. How did the Hope Foundation start? Do you know? Okay, so we were founded in 1999 as a direct result of Maureen Forrest being in Calcutta. She was with another NGO. And I guess Maureen had volunteered overseas for a number of years. She'd worked in Somalia. But she's a English. She's Irish. Oh, she's another she, Irish. She's another Irish. The there Irish. are two of us. Ah, there's two of you. <laughs> there are two of us. Because uh, yeah. you're based in the UK, so I, I I'm in London, but mm. so I thought that she might have been from London, but yeah, she's Irish. She's Irish, and I guess I spent three years in in India with Hope, then five years in almost five years in head office in Ireland, and moved across to the UK last year. Um, but Maureen, I guess, found herself in Calcutta, and as she would say herself, she just found, I guess, the situation hopeless. And that's why we're called Hope. Yeah. Um, but she she was living in a protection home with another NGO and she was sleeping on the floor of a room with 15 girls in it, 15 teenage girls. And she said the screams and the cries during the night from as a result of the trauma the girls had experienced. Just it made her mind up for her that she had to act and she had to to bring support and refuge to Calcutta. So Maureen travelled back to Ireland. She, I guess, inspired her circle of friends to, to help to open one protection home. That was her dream. One protection home for girls to be opened in Calcutta. So I guess the support that Hope received from, from the volunteers, from the wider community, has, I guess, helped us to deliver over 70 projects to date. The need is huge. And Maureen continues to, she's, she's a volunteer. She doesn't take a salary with the foundation. 
but she continues to inspire, to drive, to support, to educate communities, not just in Calcutta, but in Ireland and the UK, just in terms of how we can all make a difference. It doesn't have to be that, I guess, that check for $100,000 that will make a difference. It's somebody giving of their time, somebody giving of their spirit, engaging, understanding, and I guess joining us in our vision of a world where it should never hurt to be a child. Mm. We're, I guess, constantly asked, you know, why India, why Calcutta, why not Ireland, the UK, Australia, Sydney, Cork or London? And for us, I guess we're a small organisation. We are working in Calcutta, but we don't see, I guess, geographical borders as defining where we work. The street children of Calcutta just happen to be born in Calcutta. Yeah. And being born to a street or to a slum shouldn't, we believe, define your future. We have children that have, I guess, joined us on on our protection projects since 99 that are now emerging as doctors, teachers, aeronautical engineers, lawyers and barristers. They've, I guess, seen the opportunity that that our supporters have offered and they've grasped it yeah. and run with it. And I guess I was it was in university for, as my parents would still say, for far too long. <laughs> and only stepping out and stepping into to Calcutta did I come to realise how fortunate I was yeah. to have had that luxury of being able to be in university for far too long. Yeah, exactly. And simple things like hanging out with friends, being able to go to the cinema and not thinking about it, having that financial support from my parents when I was younger and the luxury of a part time job. Um, a lot of the, the communities we work with would love to be in employment, but because they're born to the streets or the slums, that's not an option for them. They're not afforded the opportunity. And something, I guess, that as I was traveling to Australia that I again took for granted was the fact that I had a passport in my rucksack. The children and the adults that we work with don't have passports. I know you said something the other night about the unseen, you know, mm. the unseeable, unknowable, yeah. the forgotten, because mm. there are so many people that are born on the streets yes. that they don't have an identity. They're not even registered as existing. Exactly. They can't get a passport. They can't do anything. They like, they don't, they don't exist in yes. the eyes of the government or the world or they're just, their life in those terms mm -hmm has no value because when they die, nobody, it's not registered. They're not exactly. registered. Nobody except for the people that actually knew them. They're a small community. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing to think to think like that because it's just inconceivable from this perspective, from the Western perspective. Yeah. It is. And I mean, it's, it's working with these communities, seeing how much the community members have to offer. I guess it's the warmth of Calcutta and the warmth of the communities that draws me back there. I guess I have experienced it firsthand. I was on my way home from work and walking through a slum community and I had a pair of jeans on with the knees ripped out. I was a volunteer and I just came out of university. So that's what we did. And <laughs> that's the look. That was the look. So I had people in the slum just coming to their the doors of their their houses, should we say, and just laughing so hard at me, <laughs> just laughing at the air conditioning trousers that I was walking around in in Calcutta. <laughs> and as I got to the, the exit of the slum, a gentleman came up and tapped me on the shoulder and he handed me a pair of trousers and he said, I have two pairs. You can have one. And it's just that generosity yeah. of, of giving and of, I guess, sharing the being in the slums and on the streets. Um, I, I grew up in Ireland in the 1980s and it was deep in recession as it's back there again. 
there was a great sharing amongst communities. Mm. If you needed something and your neighbor had it, you could borrow it. Mm. Doors were open mm. and keys were left in doors overnight. People looked out for each other. And we, I guess, went through a transformation in Ireland. We had our Celtic Tiger years where there was a boom. People had too much money and people were spending ridiculously. And as that money arrived onto the shores of Ireland, the keys came out of the doors, the doors locked, people didn't share, people had enough and we lost a great sense of community. Wow. And we struggled to get back there. Wow. We really are struggling. But in Calcutta, people are, people in the slums and on the streets are economically poor, but community rich. Wow. And it's something I, I envy when I go back there, that they still maintain that sense of spirit and community. Well, whew, you know, we're in an age where that needs to shift because in order to experience community and sharing and generosity, mm -hmm. we need to stop creating the tragedy. You know, tragedy doesn't need to inspire community. We can inspire love and community without the tragedy. Absolutely. Yeah. And something that I, I find quite concerning, and I guess I'm, I'm 33 now and I'm beginning to sound like my father, but the... <laughs> Digital age and social media. <laughs> you are sounding like an old man. <laughs> I am. Um, it's not just the grey hair. <laughs> we have a, an amazing age of digital media and social media. And for me, I, I use social media for work and to keep in contact with friends. But it's the withdrawal of the social that has happened as a result of social media. I just find concerning for young people that they are connected to so many networks around the world. But yet I feel disconnected in in other ways. We can communicate with people across the globe from the comfort of our of our rooms, from our living rooms. But stepping outside the door, I still believe, is a, f a far greater way to to develop as, as a young person, to meet people face to face, to have that coffee, to have the conversations rather than just typing. Yeah. Well, I actually love social media. I do as well, though. And the <laughs> fact that you're sitting here, both of you that are sitting here is because of social media. Mm. Like, so I, all the people that I speak to on the show, I usually meet on Facebook mm. first and then they, you know, and then I meet them in person. But even if I can't meet them in person, I'm Skyping them and I'm interviewing yes. them on Skype. And I think it is connecting the world, but we, it just, because the world is so connected, we need to know how, you know, every everything's exposed and everything's connected, but how do we share love yes, like that? I mean, absolutely. instead of sharing our criticisms and our mm -hmm. pain, how can we share more of the love? Oh. We're going to find out more <laughs> coming up after this. Stuck in the middle of the sea. I'll sell the world. If you ever find yourself lost in the dark and you can't see, I'll be the light to guide you. Find out what we're made of. Had a couple of amazing guests in the studio today. Christina is still with us, Christina Stevens, who wrote the book love the saint and the seeker all about her journey through life and uh, meeting mother teresa and filming her one of the few people to film mother teresa and i've also got jp o'sullivan in the studio with me who works for the hope foundation who helps street kids in calcutta sort of continuing on the work with mother teresa yeah and i'm really interested because i've been sitting here actually wrapped listening to jp talk about yeah he's engaging isn't he? Oh, yes, very much so. 
<laughs> and he's got a great accent. <laughs> oh, we love the Irish. <laughs> All two and, of us. And I'm, and I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm very interested because I know when I was in Calcutta, that you know there was, uh, you could not actually, you you couldn't raise funds for for the missionaries of charity. I mean, Mother Teresa had a very, she had a very clear and concise protocol of how you could give to her. You could volunteer or you could give of your own money, but you could not go, never go out and raise funds in her name or do things and utilize that. And even right. when I, when I knew I was going to be publishing a book, I had said, I'd love to give a portion of, of the profits to the missionaries of charity. No, can't do that. Why? Could not do that. Wow. It's, it's the way they function. So I'm really curious about how the Hope Foundation, how you were able to actually break that wall down and mm. somehow work with and integrate and, and be a part of their work and, and allow your work to be kind of meshed together. How did that mm. come about? Okay, I guess we're, we're fortunate that um, the founder's sister, Maureen's sister, is Jenny Brown. Um, she's based in Calcutta for nine months of the year and she herself is a Mercy sister. Um, she would attend, I guess, Mother House quite regularly, had built up a personal relationship with the sisters. Mm -hmm. And in 2008, we opened a 30 bedded hospital for street children. We'd had experience where children and adults that are born to the streets in the slums are denied access to health services. Mm. Maureen was in Calcutta on one occasion and went on her night round, which is an ambulance service, patrols the streets 24 seven and came across a baby, an abandoned baby who was in very poor health, was in fact, I guess, in the in the later stages of, of dying. And she picked up this baby, got in the ambulance, went to a local hospital and was denied access because the child was from the street. Maureen, I guess, still recalls that moment and and remembers having to get back in the ambulance and spray perfume on the baby so that access to the next hospital would be easier. Right. And I guess that's what, what drove us to open our, our hospital in 2008. To answer your, your question, it's continued, I guess, networking with the sisters. Yes. Um, realizing, I guess, both sides realizing that, you know what, we could work very well together. They they work with um, both children and adults, obviously. And if healthcare supports are needed, they do connect with us. They connect with us very, very regularly. and. The relationship grew quite steadily over the years. We built a rapport relationship and trust with each other. Um, so mm. while Mother Mother Teresa's, I guess, sisters would bring bring children to us and bring adults to us at times as well. So too would we go to them for for supports if we need another network. Mm. Um, so it's it's a it's a great relationship to have, um, and I think it's one that was obviously nurtured over the years. It did take time. But I guess one connection that, that I personally and my network has back to Mother Teresa is when Mother Teresa began her, I guess, her life in, in Calcutta, her first sister was my uncle's cousin. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that probably inspired me and drove me back to Calcutta as well to, to connect in some way. Yeah. Um, so it's been been a nice relationship over the 16 years to develop. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Fantastic. So how can people get involved with Hope Foundation? How, what can Australians do to help make more of a difference? Okay. Well, I guess the, the first step is to visit our website, mm -hmm. which is thehopefoundation.org.uk. 
can pop online. We have numerous social media platforms going. Yeah. Um, I am on Twitter far too much. <laughs> and our Twitter handle is at hope underscore UK. Right. We have Facebook pages where people can connect and people can, I guess, explore the, the possibility of volunteering with us in Calcutta. Um, volunteering with us here in Australia to raise profile, to raise awareness, to join Kathy in Maloko and help to sell some of those beautiful thongs. Yeah. And to put <laughs> to put no free plugs. No You're free plugs. That's Maloko.com. Kathy, you just got a free plug. <laughs> and this afternoon at two PM we are having a beach walk. Two students, um, two young young boys, ten and eight are are having a an awareness walk for us in DY Beach. Oh, okay. Um, that's happening at 2 o'clock. At 2 o'clock. Oh, that's right. The two schoolboys that were there the yes. other day. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So they're having an awareness walk and um, asking people to walk the beach and Join raise... us on a 6K walk. Mm -hmm. yeah. And to raise funds for, for the Hope Foundation. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 2 o'clock. So where are you meeting? We are meeting outside the surf club. Outside the DY Surf Club? Yes. At yes. 2 o'clock? Yes. If anyone's up on the northern beaches and wants to go for a 6K walk. 6K walk. Wow. Get your flip-flops. Get your flip-flops on. <laughs> Get your flip-flops on. That's it. Get your flip-flops on. That's it. Wow. Well, how amazing. Mother T is in the house. She's busy on the other side working away, helping people here that are spreading her message of love and compassion and, mm. um, and help and aid. What's the hope for the future? for hope, the hope for the future for hope. What would you like to see happen, like your personal vision? Okay, so I guess a number of years ago, I'd always wanted to see more, um, I guess, government involvement, Indian government involvement with hope. And we're very much of the opinion that we don't replicate services. So we don't build schools in Calcutta. We have education support centres, mm -hmm. uh, but not schools. Um, we believe that if an organisation does start popping schools up everywhere, then responsibility remains with that NGO to continue them. Yeah. Um, I guess something that, that worries me is this, the national or the government spend on child protection is 0.4% of their, their budget. So I'd always hoped that we would see a, an engagement with, with government, um, perhaps realizing that we could work very well together. So in the past 12 months, we've seen that happen. We've been approached by government to support their government homes. Right. And to support child protection trainings and also in education, the government have introduced a number of acts that are supporting, I guess, our vision mm. of mm. their engagement in, in the delivery of With education. New leadership, which Absolutely. is Modi. Yes, it's yeah. excellent. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's amazing to Very see good. it actually come into fruition so early on in the life of hope. Yes. Mm. So how long has hope been running now? We're almost 16 16 yeah. years, yeah. right. So yeah. fairly new, really. We're still young. Teenagers. We're yeah. teenagers. <laughs> We're teenagers. And and a lot of expansion in those six, 16 years. Very, very much so, huge, yes. Huge, huge. Yeah. Way of the world, it's too fantastic. And there are amazing people out there like you helping that expansion, that expansion of care and mm. community and love. And Christina, thank you so much, JP, for coming on the show. It's thank been you. really fascinating. Just tell us the Hope website again. It's it's thehopefoundation.org.uk. So you have to yeah. put in the Hope Foundation because there's a few, if you Google Hope Foundation, there's, there's a, a lot of hope, hope out there. There's a lot of hopes out there, yeah. yes. Yeah. So it's the Hope Foundation. Dot org dot uk. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. 
Thank you so much Thank for you. being on the show. It's Thank been you. wonderful. And thanks again, Christina. Ooh. Oh, it's been so good. Thanks, Mother Teresa. Well, I've got my halo on this morning, the guys tell me. So. Ooh, you have. <laughs> I see it. I had to play this one. Thanks for joining me on Accentuate the Positive Radio. Go to karenswain.com to listen to more fascinating podcasts of the show. Also remember to like us on Facebook, Accentuate the Positive Radio with Karen Swain on Facebook. Catch you next time. Bye for now. make up a sound. I found a way to let you in. But I never really had a doubt. Standing in the light of your halo I got my angel now It's like I've been a weekend Every rule I had you breaking Is the risk that I'm taking